All right, guys, welcome. Glad that you're here. If you snuck in a little bit late or didn't get greeted or couldn't find the people you're looking for, whatever it might be, welcome. I'm glad that you're with us. Um, what I want to do is this. My name is Jeff. I'm one of the pastors here at Mariners, and um, I, I want to do something that has nothing to do with the message whatsoever, but I need you to do it anyways. Uh, in the spirit of community and getting to know people around us, here's what we're going to do, all right? All you have to do is just stand up if this applies to you. If it doesn't, you just stay seated. That's all. That's the whole game. But you'll look around and see people that are kind of like you, like, for instance, like this. Stand up if you like the rain. You don't have to, come people confirming with people around them. Is it okay to like the rain here? I think I like the, look at this, the room overwhelmingly in all of the services, loves the rain. I think you're all liars, just that it's been so hot here recently. You're like, yeah, the rain, woo. Okay, go ahead and sit down. Uh, let's see, stand up if uh, you, ah, stand up if you're wearing open-toed shoes, like flip-flops, something else like that. You're wearing something that doesn't have a warm... Those are people who do not like the rain. Right here, these people standing up. Or people that forgot that they, you know, it's raining, or it was, has been raining, it's cold. Okay, go ahead and sit down. Uh, let's see. Stand up if you have a working memory of something called a mixtape. That is to say, you either dubbed from a CD or another tape, which is really awesome. Really hard to synchronize those two things. Remember what that's like. Stay standing. Stay standing if that tape, any one of those mixtapes you ever made, also had a Journey song on it. Some people standing in shame. Yes. <laughs> nice. Go ahead and sit down. Okay, good. Uh, let's see. Uh, let's see. Stand up if you, um, ah, stand up if you have been a part of the Mariners Mission Viejo community since it was a video venue. Like we just showed a video message on the screen. Yeah, people, people are like, we win. Yeah, okay, right there. No, but like there's only a few people. This room is like full of people that are like, you know, so you might want to get to know them, folks. You haven't connected. Just kidding, you know I'm lying. Okay, go ahead and grab a seat. Uh, stand up if you uh, have been coming to the Mariners Mission Viejo community, and this is a little bit risky, uh, for under a year, under a year. Interesting. A lot of new folks. Okay, cool. Very good. Uh, sir, we can't have coffee in here. I don't know if they told you the new person's class. Sorry. No, just kidding. I'm just kidding. Go ahead and have a seat. <laughs> uh, let's see. Stand up if you are engaged. Anybody engaged? All right here. Yes. <laughs> nice. And it's, uh, and I don't want to say anything, but you're by yourself, Josh. I don't, I mean, it's like things I'm sure will be fine for you guys. Uh, okay. Just kidding. Uh, stand up if you've been married for less than a year. Nice. Congratulations, you guys. Wait, wait, stay, wait, stay standing. Stay standing. Don't sit down. You're already like, I hate this. Okay. Uh, it's it. Oh, I, I see you over there. Don't sit down. By, by the way, you're by yourself too. Is everything, are we, are we everything okay? I don't want to highlight anything, but uh, how long have you guys been married? Don't check your watch. You're supposed to know. Has it only been minutes? Uh, 30 minutes. What? Six months? Three months? Two months? Four months? Anybody? How long? Two weeks! You win! Wait, how, how long are you guys back there? Two weeks also? Two months. You win. Congratulations. Tell your husband wherever he is. You won today. Okay, go ahead and have a seat. Uh, let's see. Stand up if you have been married for, uh, let's see, five years or more. Five years or more. Okay, good. Stay standing if it's been more than 10 years. Don't check your watch, some of you guys. 
Stay standing if it's been more than 15 years. Stay standing if it's been more than 20 years. Now we're talking. Stay, <laughs> stay standing if it's been more than 25 years. Stay standing if it's been more than 30 years. No, wait. 35 years, stay standing. Oh, all of you guys got married on the same day or something. <laughs> it's like, oof. Okay, good. Uh, let's see. Wait, don't sit down yet. I'm, how many years has it been? 41. How many? What? 45. Don't sit down yet. You're still being, hang on. Okay, how many? 36. How about you guys on the way back? 44? 44? 40? What in the world? <laughs> now you guys all have something in common. So what was the winner? Was it 48? Is that what it was over here? 45. All right, everybody stand up and just give them a huge round of applause because that's awesome. <clears throat> You're awesome. All right, cool. Now we all know each other a little bit better. You can have a seat. If you uh, need a Bible, some folks will be happy to pass one out to you. We'll be there in just a minute. We'll, we'll be taking a look at uh, some stuff in a second. If you already have a Bible um, or you want to, you know, take a look at it, we'll be in Matthew chapter 9. If you don't want to follow, you don't want to hold the Bible, you reject that idea, but you want to read it, it'll be on the screen. Some of you who want to turn on a little device to read your Bible, whatever you need to be able to get in touch with God's Word, we're going to do that today. But um, really good to be with you guys. Um, again, that had nothing to do with today's message. It was just about trying to get us to be a little bit more community. But um, I'm really excited about this series. We kicked it off two weeks ago. It's a series called Love Without Walls. And it's basically a look, as Barb said already during the announcement, it's a look at the DNA of our church, which has been um, really focused on, I should say, another way to say this, our DNA has been shaped by what I would say is the Bible's focus on what the Bible refers to as the poor, the orphan, and the widow. That really, when we talk about people who are marginalized, who are disenfranchised, we're talking about people that don't have a voice in the world, but that God uniquely calls his own people to move toward. And the subtitle of the Love Without Walls series is learning to become or learning to be the church in the world for the world. That the intent of a weekend gathering like this for people who are here isn't that we would say, isn't it so great to come here and learn a few things and be safely isolated from the world and then get in our car and drive all the way home and continue our isolation such that the world is never impacted by us at all, but we're safe from it? Now, Truthfully, there's a part of the church we always want to have is sort of be a sanctuary and a rescue from things, but that's not all. The people who belong to Jesus are people who are charged with this unbelievably impossible task. That is to say, you are part of a subversive, revolutionary gathering, an army of people who would go out and say that the powers and systems of this world ought to be upended. And the ways that it's going to be upended are going to be like this, by people who are humble servants who are armed above all else with compassion. That's what it means to be a church that has love without walls. And we're going to get into the third week of that series today. Before we do that, would you pray with me? And then we'll jump into it. Lord Jesus, we look at the world and acknowledge that it is not great. There are many great things in it, but that it is a broken place. God, will we be people today, who are filled with courage, who have a vision for our own lives, that you, for the way that you see us, that we might be a part of changing the world. 
God, today for some of us, would you give us a picture of your great love? Would you give, give us a picture in a small way of the, what, the work you want to do in the whole world in, a, in just our own lives? A work of restoration, of healing, of hope, of love. God, would that be the marker of the work that you want to do in the world through us? God, we pause for a moment in all of our weeks, in all of our time, and everything. Would we just pause today? And we ask that you would speak to us. That you would reveal parts in us in our own lives that are in need of your loving tenderness. And that you would nudge us to be a part of changing this world, Lord. It's in your name that we pray, Jesus. Amen. Hey, one thing I forgot to mention before we get into today's message is that um, next week, and for six of the next nine weeks, my, my youth pastor, my good buddy, um, Doug Fields, will be speaking here. And I know that's, for a lot of you guys who know him, that's a total treat. And he'll, you know, might want to bring some of your friends uh, to be able to hear him. But it's going to be a great couple of weeks here at Marriage Mission Viejo. So just as a side note to know about that. Uh, and okay, so like I told you, we're in Matthew chapter 9, uh, if you want to turn your Bible there. But uh, before we get there, I just have a question. Uh, I'm going to re- sort of tell you about a, a movie plot that sort of changed my own life when I was a kid. And if you know it, as soon as you know it, as long as you weren't here in the previous services, because that's lame if you yell out the answer. But if you weren't here, uh, I'm going to say a movie plot. As soon as you know it, you can just yell it out. Guaranteed it will be a guy. Okay, here's the, here's the movie plot. Uh, okay, so um, there's this military family, uh, Air Force family. And the, 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 the story highlights the oldest son of this, of this one Air Force pilot who gets caught behind enemy lines. Iron Eagle. <laughs> Thank you, ma'am. Um, <laughs> who said that over there? Right, raise your hand. There it is. Well done. Great movie. Okay, now here's the deal. His, his father, this kid's father, played by Jason Gedrick, unless you grew up in the 80s, you have no idea who that is. This guy, uh, his dad is captured behind enemy lines. And he finds out that the U.S. government will not help his father, who is scheduled to be executed in just a matter of a couple of days. So he and his high school friends (laughs) pool all of their resources. And their plan is this. We're going to steal an F-16. We're going to fly over to some unnamed country in the Middle East. We're going to land on an airstrip, go in there and get dad, put him in the back of the plane, and we're going to fly him to safety. That's the plan. Now, here's the whole, the whole setup, of course, is like this. There are these unlikely people, these band of teenage guys and their, and their friends. There's these uh, girls and guys. They get together, and they're like, what skills do we have? And the nerd guy is like, I'll hack into the computer and figure out, get some battle plans. And these, these two girls are like, well, I can get past the guards, and we'll try, to get the, the, we'll try to get the plane set up this way. And this other guy's like, my dad works over here. And we'll, I mean, all these guys who are totally unqualified for any kind of military operation figure out that they need to go and rescue their buddy's dad in some Middle Eastern country, and there is no way that they should be able to do it. And yet, they are the Iron Eagle. I mean, this is kind of the, this is the whole story. That a totally unqualified group of people in 1986 would steal a plane and fly across the world and save another guy, is this, it's the perfect setup for there's no way this could be done, but yet it somehow works. There is a situation that they're unprepared to handle, they're unqualified to step into, and yet it's up to them to do it. I think that's in so many ways what our own world is like for us. The world is kind of this nightmare of a place. There's things that are not going great about it or in it. And we look at it and go, well, I wish we could do something about it, but I'm pretty much unqualified. 
And there's all these people now, particularly in an election year, who are saying, I'm qualified, choose me, and I'll fix the world. And all of us have this, like, well, there's a part we kind of agree, but we're not sure what we're... The world is generally going to continue to be screwed up, but what am I supposed to do about it? I'm not qualified to do anything about it. What do we do, people who are charged with changing the world? What are we supposed to do? Matthew 9, verse 35, says this. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. So Jesus' ministry, right here as it's being highlighted in the book of Matthew, is one in which Jesus is traveling around talking about this thing called the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God as it's sometimes referred and, and talking about how it's close. And that kingdom, sort of the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God is being evidenced by God's work in Jesus through healing, through this sort of restoring of diseases and sickness and all, casting out of demons, all kinds of stuff. And the crowds begin to follow around Jesus knowing that this ministry of sort of power is happening in and through him. And Jesus looks at the crowds and goes, wow, this is a hurting group of people. They're lost and they're helpless. They're like sheep without a shepherd. And then he says this in verse 38. So what are we supposed to do? Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. So Jesus makes this point to his disciples. Look at all these people. They're harassed and helpless. It's not working out for them, and there needs to be some help for them. So what do you do when you're like facing an impossible situation? You pray. So he tells the disciples, pray that God would send some people into this harvest field, that there'd be some kind of work to be done here. And so the disciples gather up, and they say, God, send some good quality people in here who can make things better. Rescue us, rescue these people. We need your help. Look what it says in Matthew chapter 10, verse 1. Jesus called his 12 disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. The disciples pray, God, give to us some people who can handle this kind of lost mass of people. Help us and send the right guys to be out here to do this job. And Jesus immediately then looks at his disciples and goes, oh, good, here they are. I give you authority to, to do all of this kind of ministry. I give you the authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. Wait, we were just praying for some guys to come here. Yeah, good job. Here they are. You're it. They are the answer to their own prayer. And Jesus gives them authority. The word authority in Greek is the word exousia. It means like uh, not only does he give them the sort of freedom to act, he gives them the right and privilege of one who is empowered to act, but he also gives them this sort of freedom, this way of sort of moving at things in the way that only Jesus could have done. He qualifies them to act in a way that he was doing. Remember, his ministry is about proclaiming this news of the kingdom and then healing. Jesus gives them, he qualifies them and empowers them to act in this way. And the disciples, you can imagine, they're like, wait, we can't, we're just, I mean, we were, we're praying, but we're just like, I mean, there's the, world's, the world's a messed up place, man. There's other people that might show up here, that'd be great. And then Matthew lists all the disciples. Look what it says in verse 2. These are the names of the 12 apostles. Stop right there. 
Matthew 10, verse 1, says Jesus calls his 12 disciples to him. But in verse 2, it says, here's the list of the apostles. Disciples in verse 1, apostles in verse 2. A disciple is someone who would follow a, a rabbi, a teacher, hoping that their life would one day emulate that of the master, the rabbi. They're a learner, a student, an apprentice. The word apostle, though, means something different than apprentice. The word apostle comes from a Greek word apostolos, which means one who is sent. So the disciples, right here, Matthew records, Jesus calls his disciples, and then verse 2, they're called the apostles, those who are sent. Once you were learners, apprentices, and now you are those who are being sent out. So he lists them. First, Simon, who is called Peter, and his brother Andrew, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. If you've read this part of the Bible before, if you're anything like me, you're like, wow, there's another list of names in the Bible. Awesome. There's a little powerful drama here. You know, there's the list of the guys there. If you've ever read it before, the beginning of Matthew is just a long list of this big, long genealogy of Jesus. And, you know, if you've been in church, you know, that all matters. But when you're reading it, you're like, blah, 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 son of so-and-so, son of so-and-so, blah, blah, blah. Hey, there, there's Mary and Joseph. I mean, it's like you kind of, when you read it. Now, here's this list of guys. And if you've ever read it before, you've kind of gone, well, there's 12 disciples. That's really wonderful news for us. But what does that really mean? Let me just kind of unpack this a little bit. A couple things. One, these guys are called the apostles. That means they're sent to do something. These are people who are wholly unexpecting that they would in some way have anything to do with making the world different, let alone sort of driving out impure spirits or whatever else it's at. But you have these four guys. At least four of them are fishermen. Peter and his brother, uh, Andrew, uh, James and John, at least four, those four guys are at least fishermen. You have in, in the group also a guy named Simon the Zealot. And a zealot, basically, they're, they're sort of mode of operation here is this sort of uh, let's pray that God would you know come to rescue us in the meantime let's sharpen our swords because probably what God wants us to do is to start a violent revolution and once we get the violent revolution going then God will come rescue us and wipe out the Romans so let's all sharpen swords and stab Romans that's Simon the Zealot that's kind of in a nutshell what he's kind of hoping for and then you have Matthew who self-describes is on all the lists of the disciples or the apostles only Matthew, the author of this particular gospel, recording of Jesus' life and ministry, only Matthew puts the little add-on about himself. Matthew, tax collector. If you hear last week, you heard Kyle talk about what a tax collector is about. Essentially, this is a person who's a government-sponsored rip-off artist. This is a person who belongs to a special category of sinners, and they're talking about people who are bad people in the ancient Near East, in the, you know, this sort of culture. You have tax collectors and other notorious sinners. It's like, whoa, and holy smokes. Like, they're just... A whole different category of lame. No one likes them. Now, tax collectors, again, remember, there's fishermen. The rest of the guys are probably all from, um, at least as far as we can tell, they're all sort of from rural towns. And you have a tax collector in what will eventually be a boat with these guys, you know. And there's, there's the tax collector who would take money from guys like fishermen. And the tax collectors would take enough money for the Roman government, but then they would take also enough for themselves to put a pool in their backyard while everybody else suffered. And so there, there the fishermen are right there. You know, there's Peter and Andrew and James and John. And it's like, hey, there's a tax collector. Hey, guys, what's up? Didn't you, like, kick my grandma out of her house because she couldn't pay taxes? Sure did. How you guys doing? 
We're all supposed to hang out together now. Yeah, but you used to take our fish all the time and eat it right in front of us. Well, we, I mean, this is, you, we don't, this isn't going to work out, Jesus, seriously. You have also this other layer, which is this. In this particular time, right about this time, maybe a little even later, it became more fully present, but this same idea happens. That students would want to learn, the young men would learn, all kids would learn the first five books of the Bible, and they would attempt to put that to memory, all of the first five books of the Bible, the Torah. Now, if you've ever even tried to read Leviticus, my kid can't even say it. Okay, but I mean, there's just this like, there's memorize all, but then they would go and find a rabbi, a respected teacher, and they would say, I want to be one of your students. And the rabbi would say, well, you know, Abraham makes a certain number of sacrifices in Genesis chapter 15. Well, I don't know if they were divided in chapters then. But why don't you tell me the number of sacrifices that he makes when God meets him? What are the animals in which order? I don't know. Hey, you know, God bless you. This isn't really your, your task. You're not going to be one, one of my students. Something like that, maybe even more difficult. From memory, they'd have to recite these things. And for those kids, about 13 or so old, if they can't recite those things, then they just go back to their father's trade. So when Jesus finds these guys, fishermen, farmers, whatever else they are, tax collectors, it means they didn't make the cut to be spiritual awesome studs. They just get to go and be a part of their father's trade. Now, What makes Jesus even more kind of crazy is that he doesn't expect them to come to him and say, can we follow you? What Jesus does is he goes to them and says, I want you guys, the guys who are doing your father's trade, who didn't make it anybody else's sort of rabbi school, I want you to follow me. So immediately they leave their everything and they go to follow him. Jesus is gathering a group of people who by everybody else's standards are the rejects, the unwanted, those who weren't quite good enough to have a spiritual occupation, so to speak. Now, so they're excited about following Jesus. But even in their excitement, they don't know exactly what they're signing up for. It's just follow me. Okay. They have no idea what they're up, what they're up, what they're up for, what they're signing up to, to sort of be a part of. But this is clearly a non-strategic gathering of unpowerful people who are likely to have conflict and have no idea what's in front of them. This is a poor planning by Jesus. Let's recap. Jesus has this ministry of healing. He has this ministry of preaching about the kingdom of God coming near. Crowds are gathering around. And Jesus looks at the crowds and goes, man, they're helpless and they're harassed like sheep without a shepherd. And he says to his disciples, pray to the God of the harvest that he would send some workers into the field. They pray. Then Jesus looks at them and goes, thank God you're here. Literally. And he starts to talk about them as though they were apostles. Here's some of the instructions. Skipping down to verse 7 in chapter 10. As you go, first stop right there. As a matter of practice, I, I would say those three words are as important as anything else we'll talk about today. As you go. In fact, if you have your own Bible, even if you borrowed one of ours, <laughs> will you underline it? <laughs> those three words. As you go. Because I think while Jesus is speaking specifically about a task that these guys are being sent out to do, there's this weird phrase there, as you go. It could have been just said, go and do these things, or he could have left that part out, but it's this sort of sense of your ministry that you're being called in to do, the one that you're being sent out to do, is one that will involve not only the intentional time when you gather or have conversation, it will also be in the unintentional time. As you go, you're going to preach this message, you're going to do these things I'm about to tell you, but as you go, in the rest of your everyday other parts of your life, as you go, not only in the sort of moments where you sort of gathered everybody, the band started and the stage was set up. And no, as you go. 
in your walking, in your everyday life, in everything that you do, as you go, do the following things. Proclaim this message, verse 7. Proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Verse 8. Heal the sick. Raise the dead. (laughs) Cleanse those who have leprosy. Drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. (laughs) Remember, these guys have just moments ago been praying that God would send someone to rescue and be a part of shepherding these people. Oh, here they are. And then here's their task. Hey guys, here's what I want you to do. Heal the sick. Raise the dead. (laughs) Wait, did you say raise the dead? Raise the dead. That's quite a ministry you're calling us to, Jesus. I know. Then I want you to drive out impure spirits. I want you to cleanse the lepers. I mean, the, the, the things he's asking these guys to do are things that they cannot do. They are 100% unqualified for this kind of work. And that's the ministry he sends these guys out to be a part of. But Jesus is the one who gives them the authority. He qualifies.